Welcome to Living Through the Word, the official podcast of the Anglican Diocese of the Living Word, a diocese of the Anglican Church in North America. I'm Julian Dobbs, the diocesan bishop, and I'm pleased that you've joined me today. On this podcast, we have different guests from across the diocese and global Anglican family to discuss topics that matter to you, your ministry, and life today. And it's my great pleasure today to welcome my friend and colleague, Bishop Chris Warner. Bishop, so good to have you today. Welcome. Thank you, Julian. It's so good to be here. Bishop Warner was elected to be the second bishop of the Diocese of the Mid-Atlantic of the Anglican Church in North America on October 15, 2022. Prior to serving as bishop, he was director of Church of the Holy Cross, Sullivan's Island and Daniel Island, and he successfully led Holy Cross in a transition from a seeker model church to a relational and discipleship model church. Between his two terms of service at Holy Cross, he also served as rector and director of St. Christopher's Camp and Conference Center. He and his wife, Catherine, have been married since 1993. And they have three children. Of himself, Bishop Chris said, My call from the Lord is to teach, preach, pray, and lead. And my purpose in life is to know God and make God's glory known. I consider Bishop Chris a personal friend. I'm, I'm thrilled to have him today. Uh, I've invited him to join us for the Bishop's Book Club as we make our way through The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. But before we get to the book, Bishop Chris, tell us how you came to follow Jesus and a little bit about the great diocese you've been called to serve. Thank you, Bishop Julian. Um, yeah, I did not grow up in the church. I was baptized as a baby. Uh, in the Catholic Church, but we were marginally uh, associated with it. When I was in high school, after a whole series of like damaging family uh, relationships, multiple divorces in my with my parents, etc., I got into drugs and alcohol. I ended up traveling around the country with the rock band, the Grateful Dead, and um, somewhere in there, my mother got saved at an evangelical and charismatic. Episcopal Church, and they knew how to pray. Uh, they started interceding powerfully for me, and I actually, the Lord, um, got a hold of me at the at a Grateful Dead concert uh, in Washington D.C. of all places, not far from where I now live, uh, and called me out of the middle of a concert. I ended up on my knees in the parking lot, uh, no drugs involved, uh, just the the sheer mercy of God. And I gave my life to Jesus right there uh, in the dirt next to my car or next to my friend's car. And that started a journey of knowing God and just living a life of radical grace. Uh, I am certainly a trophy of grace. I, uh, Chris, let, me, let me interrupt because I've, I've heard your story. Uh, I've heard you share it. And it's such a powerful story. Um, and I know we had to talk about Pilgrim's Progress, but just... What what did your friends say to you, band members, others, you know, when you had committed your life to Christ? Yeah, they thought I had either lost my mind or um, had gone crazy or found religion. I mean, we we literally had no framework. None of us had a framework for it. We were all out of really abusive homes, and so we were in in very much sense a family. So it was a, a, a really large betrayal uh, to them. 
even though I was still me, I was just suddenly not the biggest drug dealer on the campus of our college anymore. And I was reading the Bible, which was uh, given to me three days after I gave my life to Christ. Um, and they just had no framework for what was going on. But as I lived out my faith in the middle of all these deadheads and and drug dealers and drug users, I started leading people to Christ and started leading people to the church, which was really daunting for the church we ended up in because they didn't know what to do with us. Um, <laughs> thankfully, there were enough people who loved Jesus there and uh, knew something was happening in in the Lord's uh uh, grace and kindness that they didn't throw us out. We, we It was an Episcopal church, and we didn't know when to stand or kneel or what the book said, and none of us liked the music, but Jesus was was doing a work. So, um. <laughs> It's such an incredible story. Uh, listeners, if you ever get an opportunity to hear Bishop Chris's story at length, it's um, an incredible story of faith and conversion. You've been brought into um, this great body of the Anglican Church in North America, um, you're leading this great diocese, uh, the Diocese of the Mid-Atlantic. Um, I have some history in the formation of your diocese. Um, I'm thrilled you're uh, serving there. Uh, just tell us a little bit about the diocese for people that don't know anything about it. Yeah, the Diocese of the Mid-Atlantic is uh, a diocese that is a regional uh, area. Primarily, our churches are in Virginia, though also Maryland, a few in southern Pennsylvania. We've got one in eastern West Virginia. We've got a few in northern North Carolina, but but Virginia and Maryland are the bulk, and northern Virginia is the greatest concentration, although we have a lot of church planning going on down in the Richmond area and Charlottesville. We have 39 churches and missions, and it's a remarkable place with uh, just incredibly gifted people. I'm, I feel so fortunate to be a part of the work that God's doing here among us. And so big on church planting, as are many of our ACNA dioceses, uh, but we have a rich history in the Holy Spirit, places like uh, Truro and Church of the Apostles and the False Church Anglican, uh, places with a deep history of the movement of God um, and a biblical faithfulness. So really, what a joy to be a part of it. So uh, thank you, Bishop. So earlier you referenced your own pilgrimage that you're still on uh you're you're now serving as a bishop as part of that pilgrimage uh, the pilgrim's progress has been uh, printed and read and translated more than any book other than the bible i mean isn't that incredible uh, and you and i look, and looking at it today i mean it's just just incredible millions of christians and others have cherished john bunyan's allegorical tale of the journey of Christian on his epic, epic uh, adventure, leaving the home, his home in the city of destruction, of that, leaving not only his home, but leaving his wife and family initially, uh, beginning his, his lifelong quest to the celestial city. Just some introductory thoughts, anything that comes to mind um, for you about, about the whole story? Well, I mean, it it is, it's allegorical, but boy, it, it speaks so clearly into our lives. It was written by a man hundreds of years ago in another culture from another uh, place and time. And yet it is so alive. It's I can see it. It's incredible. I see my own life in it or it speaks into my life. And it's clear why the Holy Spirit has used this work. It's, you know, full of scripture. 
and scriptural references and scriptural analogies, but it, it's descriptive of the of the Christian journey, and um, and therefore it speaks uh, uh, with a beauty and a poignancy. So uh, Christian's been on the journey. He's had, um, in a sense, a, a redefining season or moment. Um, and then all of a sudden, in the chapter you're going to pick up with us, um, and I haven't been giving out chapter numbers because in some of the more traditional um, renderings of Pilgrim's Progress, there aren't any uh, chapters, and you helped me discover that, Bishop. Um, and um, uh, But all of a sudden, even though things seem to be going well for him, he he comes into this most incredible um, season of attack. Mm -hmm. So take us through some of that as we look at it. Yeah, he leaves the, the house beautiful or the palace beautiful, and immediately he descends into the valley of humility or the valley of humiliation. And while there, he encounters Apollyon, which is a demonic figure, perhaps Satan himself, um, who comes at him. And, and there's this, this intense spiritual conflict that ensues as Apollyon tries to get Christian to go back to the city of destruction, to leave uh, his journey on the way uh, to Zion, on his way to the beautiful and heavenly city. And the, the intensity of the battle that ensues is remarkable. When he left from the palace beautiful, he was equipped with armor uh, and so right away, that puts in mind Ephesians chapter 6, the armor of God. Um, and we think about the ways in which that armor, as Paul uh, describes it, it, you know, the helmet of salvation to protect our minds, the breastplate of righteousness, the righteousness of Christ to, to protect our hearts, like the belt of truth encircling us. You know, I always say to keep our spiritual pants up. Uh, mm. That's extra biblical, by the way. Um <laughs> that's the, the gospel according to uh, St. Chris, right? Yes, that's right. Uh, and of course, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the the shield uh, of faith and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And and so he is immediately in this battle. Um, the armor is only on his front side uh, as he enters into that valley. Um, he is uh, immediately tempted uh, to leave, right? Uh, just Just... What do I do? Do I turn and run? No, he realizes the armor's on the front side. If he turns and runs, he's going to die. And so he is, in a sense, um, forced to take his stand against the attack of the of the enemy. It's interesting, Bishop, because Paul, in that passage in Ephesians, which you've referenced, and it came to mind as I looked at this chapter, he also says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And he, and he goes on, this is verse 13 of Ephesians 6, and he says, therefore, because of that, take up the whole armor of God. So you've referenced Christian um, being in a good place, having this armor, uh, the devil comes to attack him. Um, I just, I want you, and you and I talked a little bit about this before we started recording, but just talk to us about how that happens for us today. Because it seems to me, Bishop Chris Warner, that so many people today um, appear, particularly in the West, to dismiss the whole idea that Satan is real, 
There is a personal devil. They dismiss it, and therefore they're unaware of the spiritual battle. So just, I, I, I know we're taking some of our time to talk about this, but it seems important. Give us your thoughts about that. Yeah, I think I think as we start to talk about spiritual warfare, we, we want to uh, turn. I think C.S. Lewis had a very helpful comment. He likened um, he likened to it to riding a bike. If you lean too far one way or the or another, you're going to crash the bike. And so the temptation is to ignore the devil completely on the one side, which will lead to a crash, or to become overly occupied with the with the satanic forces, and that ends up very odd and strange. And so we don't want to go to either extreme. And therefore, we want to do what the scripture says, which is to recognize that there, there are powers and principalities and that the spiritual attack is very real in the lives of Christians. And, and I think it's important to recognize that even though we come under the lordship of Jesus Christ, we're saved, that we've been washed in Christ's blood, we're going to the heavenly city, the enemy, while he can't take us out of the Lord's hands, would love to tempt us to trip us up to attack us, to cause us to turn back from the purpose that God has for our lives and the cause to which he has led us into. And so while he can't steal us away, he sure can trip us up, cause us to, to turn backward. And we must realize that I think it's brilliant that, um, that, it, that it's put in this place of right out of this great victory and right out of this great place of peace, right out of this, this time of equipping that Christian has gone through, then the battle comes. And I think too often, if we're not aware of the ways in which our enemy, the devil, prowls around looking for someone to devour, that's First Peter, um, if we're not aware of the strategies that he uses, then we'll get tripped up along the way and we'll find ourselves wondering, what's wrong? Have I done something wrong? Christian is not in sin as this attack comes against him. This attack comes against him because he's actually walking with the Lord. That's right. So he's pressing into the Lord, right? And the attack comes. And that's quite an important signal for us as Christians today. Um, as we press into the Lord, the enemy is irritated. Uh, and yet um, we'll see at the end that uh, he does overcome. What else stands out for you here? Well, um, I, I'm struck by the ways in which the enemy comes at Christian in the mm. in the story. And I think it's instructive because if you don't know the ways in which he attacks, then you're not prepared for the attack. And so forewarned is forearmed, as the saying goes. Um, it, it's interesting, as Apollyon uh, comes to Christian, uh, he says these words, this is very early in their conversation. Uh, I quote Apollyon, you must know, this is him speaking to Christian, you must know that no prince in that dominion, this is the city of destruction or the country of destruction, gives up his subjects willingly. Yeah. Not will I give you up. But since you complain of the service and wages, in other words, there wasn't a, a good wage back there. There wasn't good service back there. We can fix that. You <laughs> go back and whatever the country can afford in the way of pay, I will see that you get it. Now, he's trying to get Christian to cut a deal. <laughs> and I think the deals that come at us, I, I think the way the, the the enemy often works is he starts a little differently, perhaps, in here, where it's sort of like um, guerrilla warfare. I'm not really here. I don't want you to see me. This is all coincidental. This is just life mm -hmm. happening around you. 
he doesn't actually want to be outed. And and then at some point, uh, when he's kind of wearing us down, you get either a full frontal assault, which we'll see uh, uh, in just a few moments, or he tries to get us to cut a deal. And cutting a deal often comes when we're tired, we're weary. I just want an easier road. You know, this has been hard. If this is what it means to walk with God, I'm not sure I want to do it. And isn't it interesting, the false promise he, he makes? Look, you said the pay was bad. Why don't you go back and I'll give you, it sounds like uh, uh, the way Jesus is tempted. Like all of this can be yours. That's it. I'll sort it out. I'll yeah. sort it out. I'll sort it out for you. It'll be better. And haven't you noticed that the devil often attacks at our greatest point of vulnerability? Oh, yeah. And so here we see that going on. What happens after this? Take us there. Well, after this, he he really comes at him. Um, and <laughs> once once he starts to resist a little bit, it, this is a full frontal assault. And and it comes at the at the realm of his identity. You know, it comes at, at the the place of his past, his his mm. former sins. And um, he tries to lead Christian into a place of shame. And I think those are all strategies that we need to pay attention to. You know, shame is not of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, shame is something we learn in this world that says that I am wrong, I am bad. And if Satan can get the Christian to go there, not recognizing that in Christ you have been made new, you're a new creation. Yes, you still have flesh and that flesh will trip you up. But your heart hidden in Christ, in God, has been made new, like He's trying to separate Christian from his true identity. And isn't that the way it goes? You call yourself a Christian. Or he might, he might say to the pastors out there, and, and how can you preach? How can you stand up and deliver God's word when your life looks like this? He might even say it to, to you and me, my dear bishop. And, and mm -hmm. you're a bishop. You should know better than this. It's that shaming, accusational voice that comes and looks to demean us and to tear us down and to separate us from our true identity, which is absolutely grounded in Jesus Christ. In, in so that, his that's something to remember, Bishop, isn't it? It's it's so critical for us. We're living in a day, it's not that this hasn't happened before, but it seems so acute in our day, when identity has been attacked in so many ways, for the followers of Jesus to recognize identity is solely and securely in him in who we are in him, uh, uh, in his great love for us, right. and, and and in his call for us to go deeper in him. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And um, if we can stay rooted in that place, then we won't be swayed. But it's if he can get you to waver on that, then boy, he, he, he then comes in with the past, right? He comes into Christian with all these sins and these failures, and maybe the cross isn't enough. And maybe maybe this is for somebody else. And he tries to get our eyes off of Jesus Christ. If you think about the way Paul starts uh, the letter to the Ephesians at the end of chapter one, he is describing Jesus far above all rule and power and principality and any name that can be named. Like, um, and and it's all under his feet. And so he tries to trip us up from our identity in Christ, and he tries to get us to believe Christ is less than who he really is. And I, I think, I think it's just, it's, it's, it's brilliant and it's horrendous. And yet we're not unaware of the devil's schemes, right? And so therefore you're exposing today, you're ultimately exposed in the word of God, 
Uh, and surely one of his schemes, as you've referenced in these end time uh, season in which we're in, the season between the cross and Christ's return, is that uh, the devil does his best to get people to the point of saying, there's no Satan, there are, there's no demonic influence, uh, and you don't have to worry about me. I mean, it gets it actually gets worse for Christian here in our story. Take us through some of that. I I, I don't want us to to not get to the valley of the shadow of death because there's there's if people are using the the uh, version of this that you and I are using, there's this most graphic picture in there um, of the valley of the shadow. But take us keep keep, keep taking us through. Uh, yeah, Bishop. So so he he Christian stands his ground right and. And as he's standing his ground, he's standing firm. You know, he's using the sword. We know the sword is the word of God. That's Ephesians, right? That Paul says, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Um, I think it's important for, let me just say this. And as I continue into the story, for every Christian to have hidden within their hearts, specific scriptures that speak to the specific areas of their life, the places where Satan comes after you, you must hide in your heart the kind of scriptures that will combat that attack. So, for instance, I came out I came out of a background of drugs and alcohol. I had plenty of sin in my background, plenty of damaged relationships and, and damage to myself, um, heartache and sin. And those two things always go together. It was vitally important for me in the early days to hide in my heart Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death, so that when that condemning voice comes, I have a weapon with which to attack that voice back. The spirit uh, himself has given the word of God, and I can use the sword of the spirit, the word of God, to speak directly and to combat the lies. And so it's important for us to recognize Satan is the author of lies. God is the author of truth. We combat lies with truth. And that truth is, is our weapon. So as Christian is standing his ground, he's using the sword of the spirit. He almost dies. I mean, it gets awfully close. Apollyon's about to kill him. And then he wounds Apollyon with that sword. He pierces mm. him. And that that is as good a picture, I think, as we can have of the way the spiritual battle works. It isn't that um, Apollyon is dead. But boy, he wounds him and and he backs away at that point. And that's when we head into the next valley. So isn't Just it before we get there, I, the, the imagery you're painting and is painted here by Bunyan in this passage is just so very powerful. It reminds me of reading through Corrie Ten Book's writings after the Second World War, when she says, you know, if there's one thing you could say to Christians, what would it be? And she says, prepare yourself for suffering. And as you do, store up the word of God in your heart, because when they take away your Bible, as they took away mine in the prisoner of war camps, uh, she was in Ravensbrook. Uh, she says, you can call out from your heart the scriptures you have committed to memory. It was, it's always been such a powerful imagery to me. Yeah, that's that's beautiful, uh, Bishop Julian. That's so well said. Um, mm. Okay, like, take us to the valley of the shadow of death, brother. Here we go. <laughs> Bishop Chris and I were laughing uh, earlier uh, before we recorded on how he got this particular chapter, but I'm so pleased that you did. So take take us there, Bishop Chris. <laughs> oh, mercy. Well, so into the valley of the shadow of death he goes, and it is dark, and it is ominous. And he's first met by two characters, uh, yeah. self-love and critic. 
And so I think there's a couple of images and thoughts that come to me. We'll dive into, you know, where he gets to hell itself in just a moment. But but I think that this this caused me to reflect a bit upon um, St. John of the Cross as dark night of the soul, that that Christians in the deepening life with God, the, the spirit of God is conforming us to the image of Christ, which means that in his kindness, in his mercy, God is undoing the things within us that are of the fallen world and of our fallen self, our flesh. And that means that we walk through processes in which uh, our flesh is crucified, to use that language. St. John of the Cross would say that there are these times in which our, our souls are emptied, uh, all of the, the closeness of God, all of the intimacies we have known seem to vanish uh, almost into a kind of silence. And mm. God is doing a deeper work. The Spirit is doing a deeper work within us to separate us from the shallower things. They're not unimportant things. They're valuable things. But because he's doing a deeper work, conforming us to the image of Christ. And it's interesting as, as he comes into this valley of the shadow of death. So if we keep that in the sense of the crucified self, the two people that he meets there are self-love and critic. And so you might think these are these are both things that we can grab a hold of in our journey. We love ourselves inordinately, and that has to die. And we can be critical of ourselves in an inordinate way, and that has to die as well. We need to see ourselves in the light of who we are. We are sinners. We are saved by grace, and we hold the tension of those two realities. And And self-love would say to us that uh, we don't need a Savior. I've got to protect myself at all costs. Uh, I've got to always have me, 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 mine, mine, mine. Um, and that has to die. But then there's also that part, that insidious sort of self-critical, uh, and that has to go as well. So these things, I think, are crucifying is interesting. This happens at the beginning. Now, um, the reference scripturally in here is to the book of Numbers. So, mm. you know, mm. we, we get a picture uh, he's painting of uh, the, they're coming back with a report about the promised land, right? And you have these folks who sow fear into those around them. It's not as good as uh, you think it is. Uh, we were like grasshoppers in our own eyes before them. There's giants in the land, right? And they're sowing this, this fear that the promises of God aren't true, that the, the goodness of God is not enough, right? I mean, this is this is straight up enemy territory. Um, the way he minimizes the word of God and the promises of God, the way he minimizes the good things and tries to get us into his realm, which is the realm of fear, rather than into the realm of love, which is the realm of our king. And so self-love and critic, he he, you know, he seems to avoid them. He continues moving forward and he comes into this place where there is a great ditch. And we are just about to the mouth of hell. And there are demons all around. There is darkness all around. And on the one side, you have a ditch where the blind have led the blind. And I think that is a, a warning that there are plenty of, of um, ignorant people who do not hold to God's word, who do not trust the spirit of God, who lead others into destruction. And it's a it's a strong call that that we're being given to avoid that error. 
And that happens quite often. We see that in the church uh, down through the ages, and we probably have all experienced some of that along the way. On the other side is the bottomless pit that King David almost fell into himself. And of course, I think that's the reference of his being tempted sexually uh, and then giving into that temptation with Bathsheba, murdering Bathsheba's husband uh, in a very deceitful way. And you know, David didn't fall all the way into the pit. He was rescued out by the mercy of God. And so even at the the mouth of hell, even at the gate of hell, even at hell's domain, there's a picture of God's grace that, that you really, you can't fall too far if you respond as David did when Nathan came with that word of correction, that word of rebuke, that word of hope and grace he responded in repentance and he changed his life and he humbled himself before the Lord. And so the picture I think that's being given here is that even it, even the person who perhaps is a drug dealer at a Grateful Dead show can be rescued from, from a place of darkness. Even the person who is furthest away from God can be pulled out of that destruction uh, because God's mercy is that great, because the cross is that powerful, because the blood of Jesus provides the atonement that we need. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, That's right. I will fear no evil. For you, the Lord who is my shepherd, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because it sounds horrific, Bishop Chris, doesn't it? It does. Um, and, and it is horrific. The reality of this deep, dark place is that it exists. And we see this all the way through the scriptures. We learn more, in fact, in my understanding of the New Testament about hell from the lips of Jesus than we do from anyone else. And I've always seen that as a signal that God entrusted the message of hell to none other than his son, Jesus Christ, because of the weightiness of this serious message. Yes, that is marvelously said. Uh, Jesus, oh, go, yes, please. Christian doesn't stay there, right? (laughs) Just just Um, take it, because I want people to realize um, uh, uh, we're on a pilgrimage here. Um, he's walking with Christ even in the midst of all of this. And you've referenced that great word, um, the sword of the Spirit. But just just take us a little bit further so so we recognize that he doesn't stay there. Yes, I'm reminded of the scripture in John 16, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And, And the message that's running all the way through the valley of humility or humiliation and the valley of the shadow of death is that we are more than conquerors yes. through Jesus Christ. Because he emerges, Christian emerges. Yeah. He comes out on the other side and he comes out wearied and he comes out um, tired. He comes out rattled and there's some more rattling that goes on even before he gets out, um, but he does emerge. In fact, the, it gets to a point where it and, and there are those who would describe this, uh, those saints who have walked this journey, where the blasphemies coming against him are so great that he thinks, he, he's tempted to think it's his own thoughts. He's tempted to believe that these things that he's thinking are true. 
and yet it says that he he holds in fervent prayer, in effectual prayer, and the references to James chapter five there, uh, I believe, where the fervent effectual prayer of a righteous man avails much. And so we're seeing in this chapter, which is a chapter about the journey into darkness, the journey of the battle, the incredible poignancy of the word of God and how powerful and effective prayer is to neglect our lives of prayer. And I don't mean just, you know, God bless our meal, but I mean our lives of solitude, quiet before the Lord to neglect the word or a deepening prayer life is to our great detriment because we will go through the tribulations. We will go through the trials and the battles will come. And this comes if you're walking with Christ. That's right. Pilgrim, a Christian here was walking on his pilgrimage with Christ. That's right. And so and we had all of this struggle. We have to recognize that. And we have to we have to get out of the denial that that's odd or strange or unusual. And that's where I'm, I'm so grateful to you, Bishop Julian, for doing this podcast as challenging as as this might be, that this is so needed in our day and age. Um, we have got to grow up and grow strong because, as you said earlier, the time is short. We don't know how long it will be, but we know that we are in that end time season uh, when Christ will return at some point. And so um, my reading of Scripture is things only get more intense the closer the day Man. it is to the yeah. day. And we therefore, the more depressing, deeper to Jesus. Listen to Christian in yeah. the... Um, in the original um, versions of uh, this book of Bunyan's, he says this right at the end of this chapter. He says that I should be preserved in that distress that I have met here, uh, met with here. Oh, blessed be that hand that from it hath delivered me. Dangers and darkness, devils, hell and sin did compass me while I was this valley in. Yes, snares and pits and traps and nets did lie my path about that worthless, silly, I might have been catched and tangled and cast down. Mm. But since I live, let Jesus wear the crown. Mm. Wow, powerful. Isn't, isn't that the design is to cause our hearts to fall more deeply in awe and worship and love of our of our conqueror Jesus, um, our hearts are to be drawn to worship, and that isn't that what grace does. When you see yourself as you are, and you see what He has done for you, when you see what He has borne on the cross, uh, it can only cause your heart to marvel, and um, and the expression of that is is worship. Uh, here's a, a a little quote that that I had seen. Now the day was dawning. Viewing the eastern hills, Christian said to himself, he hath turned the shadows of death into the morning. Looking back over the way he had come, he wondered how the Lord had gotten him through. He remembered the verse, he discovereth deep things out of darkness and bringeth out to light the shadow of death. He was deeply moved when he saw all the dangers from which he had been delivered. And so there's wow. a sense in which even these things that no one wants to walk through are designed to cause us to worship. 
Bishop Chris Warner, it's been fantastic having you take us through this. I'm so thankful that uh, uh, you got this particular uh, chapter because you've explained it so beautifully. Would you pray for us and those listening uh, with 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 the mind of these things? Yes, thank you, Bishop Julian. What a what a joy to be with you. Um, let's pray, Father God. We thank you and praise you that you do not desire the death of the wicked, but that all should come to see the light of the gospel and believe and repent. Lord, we thank you for this story, Pilgrim's Progress, and the ways in which it leads us into our own journeys to make sense of our journeys to be armored for our journeys. Father, I pray specifically for those who are walking through these kinds of valleys right now, the valley of humility, the valley of humiliation, the valley of the shadow of death, these places of darkness where the Holy Spirit seems so far away right now. Lord, I pray that you would surface in the hearts of your people every word of scripture that they have hidden away, every promise that you have made to them over the years, that you would remind them even back to their childhood, those parts of your word that have been stored away, that are the truth, that is the sword of the spirit, that is the light we need in the place of darkness. And so, Lord, I pray you walk your beloved ones through these dark places. And as you walk them through, you protect them, you equip them, and Lord, you make them more than conquerors through him who died on the cross and who rose again and has now ascended to the right hand of the throne of grace. We thank you, Lord, that you are doing a good work in each of us. And we thank you, Lord, that you will see that work to completion. And you do this because of the name of and because of the work of and because of the beauty and strength and might of your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. It is in his name we pray, and all to his glory we say, amen. Amen. Bishop Chris Warner has been my guest on Living Through the Word, this edition of the Bishop Bishop's Book Club, as we've been considering John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. Bishop Felix Orgy from the Diocese of All Nations will take up the next portion with us next time. I'm Julian Dobbs. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace.